It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important story. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is, is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas, mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into a world Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Something's a good idea. You shouldn't have to force people to do it. And it's never compassionate, my friends, to take other people's stuff, whether or not it is their uh, their rights, their property, their freedom, livelihood, or opportunity. And force comes in a lot of different ways. It could be weapon with a weapon, policy, unpredictable, and excess of taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation, or the World Economic Forum, Davos, globalist elites agenda that they have in mind for us minions as they look at us. And... and um, very pleased for this show. As you know, this week we have pre-recorded interviews uh, in honor of Independence Day, and this show bring, comes to you because of the sponsorship of the Harris family. So we're very, very grateful to them for that. And our guest today is Ben Martin, and he is a patriotic historian, and he is a former Army Ranger and also a West Point grad. And before we get to Ben Martin, I always like to say thank you to all of you. Thank you for listening. You're each treasured, valued. You have purpose. My friends today, strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. So, uh, And I, I do get to work with this great team. That's producer Steve, Zach. Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, uh, Echo, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting as well. So, Ben Martin, great to have you on the show. Oh, it's great to be with you, Kim. Great to be with you and Steve and all your patriotic listeners out there. Well, and we'll be talking about the Declaration of Independence. Before we do that, though, as you know, I normally like to start the show with a, a quote. So what is one of your favorite quotes, Ben Martin? Well, it's so important today to talk about the Declaration of Independence, and it's so important for all of us to know it. And, and the principles in that declaration, our declaration, is what binds us together. And to paraphrase President Reagan, as he said, the reason we need to learn this is because we don't pass along these things, these ideas in the bloodstream. And the principles in our declaration is what binds, is what binds us together. And so when we don't pass this along in the bloodstream to, to them, to the people, our, our prodigy that comes behind us, it must be taught to them so that they become, in their generation, the defenders of the blessings of liberty that our founders gave to us. Well, and that is why we have been doing these shows uh, once a month to talk about our, to understand our our history. Um, we went through the Federalist Papers, fascinating year on that. Uh, but let's talk about the Declaration of Independence. What's your thoughts on that, Bid Martin? Well, thanks, Kim. Today, I think the program is, is utmost important to all of Americans, all of us. 
Today, we will discuss the Declaration of Independence as our primary founding document. Its timeless and universal truth provides a philosophical basis for our government and our way of life. And it that is reflected in our Constitution, the supreme law of the land. The Declaration establishes the laws of nature and of nature's God. It's the foundation of our right to national independence, of our unalienable rights. The Declaration defines these unalienable rights, the proper place and role of government, and the only source of government's legitimate powers, the consent of the governed. So let's get started talking about our Declaration. To transition from what we talked about in our last program, we discussed how Patrick Henry, in his Give Me Liberty speech at the Second Virginia Convention, foretold of the battles of Washington, of of Washington, I'm sorry, of Lincoln, Lexington, and Concord on 19 April 1775, at the start of the Revolutionary War, or as the patriotic American colonists called it, our War for Independence. These battles also persuaded the American colonists to hold the first session of the Second Continental Congress. Remember, they talked about in the First Continental Congress that if Britain did not relinquish on all of these things that they were putting upon us, most importantly, the, the uh, what we call the Intolerable Acts back then, that we would have this Second Continental Congress, and it would start in May. And so it did start in May because of the war, you know, those battles of Lexington and Concord that started the war. And the Second Continental Congress was initially attended because of the war, I think, by almost all of the colonies, 12 of the 13. Georgia would not attend that first session, but they would soon attend and uh, the Continental Congress, and it became the governing body of the colonies after that time. They were, ne- they were never given that permission, but they, they had to assume it and to manage the war. And so the Continental Congress, this is kind of important, elected Peyton Randolph from Virginia as its first president and Charles Thompson as its secretary. Now, Charles Thompson remained the secretary of the Continental Congress all the way up until we became a nation in 1789 and and he has a great story too and i wish we could go into it but we we don't have that time today but just know that he was a great american patriot and an important note though was within two weeks randolph who it was president was named the president was summoned back to virginia and john hancock of massachusetts replaced him as the president So that was one replacement, but you also had to replace him as a Virginia delegate to the Congress. And so Virginia fortuitously sent to Philadelphia as the replacement delegate a young delegate named Thomas Jefferson. It's kind of an interesting little tidbit there. In managing the war, the Second Continental Congress established, established the Continental Army on 14 June 1775 and appointed George Washington as commander-in-chief two days later. Although the Congress operated in an uncoordinated and ad hoc fashion, they were able to seize many ammunition arsenals, drive out numerous royal officials, and surround the British troops at Boston to prevent their movement 
to any other place by land. And, and, and those were all important things that they did without any authority, basically, and in an ad hoc, uh, in an ad hoc position. So then we go to what we're going to talk about today. The one great thing that they did, that one of the great things that they did, was they were the con- they were the Congress that that established that made the Declaration of Independence. In Philadelphia, Congress at that time was moving toward declaring independence from from Britain, but many delegates did not have permission from their states to approve such action much less recommended. So on 10 May 1776, Congress passed a resolution which recommended that any colony with a government not inclined towards declaring independence should form one that was. And so on 15 May, Congress adopted a resolution that was drafted by John Adams which advised the colonies to disavow oaths of allegiance to the British crown and to its parliament. And while this was happening in Philadelphia, in Richmond, Virginia, at the same time, their fifth Virginia convention, remember we talked about these five Virginia conventions in an earlier program, the second one was the the Virginia convention was when that Patrick Henry made it and so they proposed a resolution that called for three things declaring independence from Great Britain, the formation of foreign alliances and the third was a plan of federation for newly independent states and they were no longer called colonies and that 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 new plan was the Articles of Confederation. So they sent that to their delegation, to the Virginia delegation that was in Philadelphia. And so that Virginia delegation, uh, one delegate in particular, made this proposal to Congress. On 7 June of 1776, Virginia delegate Richard Henry Lee offered such a resolution before Congress and it was seconded by John Adams, none other than John Adams, who we call the Colossus of Independence. Richard Henry Lee was an eloquent, highly effective speaker who often teamed with Patrick Henry to win their points of argument. They, in their speaking mannerisms, were opposites. Patrick Henry, as we know, was a fiery, passionate speaker who often resorted to high volume and common language to make his point. Lee, on the other hand, was a tall, slender, graceful speaker who used eloquent language and flowing hand movements to influence his audience. As a young man, while hunting geese, Lee's gun exploded, disfiguring his left hand and removing and maligning some of his... uh, mangling, I'm sorry, some of his fingers. And those of us who hunt geese can surely imagine how this happened. (laughs) To conceal this disfigurement, Lee wrapped his left hand in black silk and used his graceful moments of this hand wrapped in black silk, presumably with a little tail, to mesmerize listeners while he made his point. 
And just to uh, add to that, pa- patriotic Revolutionary War leader Light Horse Harry Lee was named after Richard Henry Lee. Congress formally adopted Lee's resolution and created three committees to first draft the Declaration of Independence, which announced our entry into the international affairs, to draft a model treaty designed to establish amity and commerce with other nations and states, and to draft Articles of Confederation establishing a firm league among the 13 free and now free and independent states. Congress passed that just as a side like Congress. Okay. Hey, um, Ben Martin, let's go to break. I'm talking with Ben Martin, patriotic historian and uh, former Army Ranger, West Point graduate, about our Declaration of Independence. Before we do that, though, the show comes to you because of a lot of great partners. One of those is Hooters Restaurants. They have five locations, Loveland, Aurora, Lone Tree, Westminster, and Colorado Springs. They have specials uh, Monday through Friday for lunch and for happy hour. So a great place to get together with friends, watch sporting events. And um, they became business partners of mine. It's a real story about freedom and capital markets and uh, um, capitalism and free markets. So be sure and check that out on my website. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back with Ben Martin. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. Medical freedom, patient choice, and informed consent are all staples of comprehensive health care. You'll find exactly that at Roots Medical, located in the Denver Tech Center, offering specialties in hormones, thyroid, gut health, detox, and COVID recovery. Functional, comprehensive, primary health care. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your health care concerns. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. Roots Medical is a proud member of Colorado Healthcare Providers for Freedom. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord, he's trampling out the vintage wear. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You'll get first look at our upcoming guests, our most recent essays and podcasts. And you can email me at Kim at Kim dot com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us greatly appreciate it. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And uh, this show comes to you because of the sponsorship of the Harris family. Thank you so much to them. And on the line with me is Ben Martin. He is a patriotic historian, a West Point graduate, former Army Ranger. We're talking about our Declaration of Independence. Uh, and so we uh, are at a spot where, uh, let's see, June 7, 1776, three committees are created. Uh, to talk about independence, um, uh, let's see, uh, formation of foreign alliances and or treaties and articles of confederation. So where do we go from here, Ben Martin? Well, we, we start talking about that committee that was to draft the, Constitu- the, to draft the Declaration of Independence. 
we talked about that. And that committee is now known as the Committee of Five, Tim. And it consisted of five patriots. One was John Adams of Massachusetts, and we know Ben Franklin of Pennsylvania, Roger Sherman of Connecticut. And just to mention that, because we haven't really talked much about Roger Sherman before, he was one of only two of our founders who signed the all three of these the great documents of the founding, the Declaration, the Articles of Confederation, and our Constitution. He was one of only two. And he led a committee during the Constitutional Convention that created the Great Compromise. And it's sometimes called the... Uh, the Connecticut Compromise. It's even called the Sherman Compromise sometimes. And the other member, the other fifth member, was Robert Livingston of New York. And Robert Livingston was instrumental in the Louisiana Purchase. He was also the man that uh, gave the oath, the first oath of office to George Washington. So all of these people were, were very important people. Okay, one more time. I, I only wrote down four. John Adams, Ben Frank. Oh, Thomas Jefferson was the other one. Thomas Jefferson. That's who I was going to say I I used him last because he was most important in this. And Thomas Jefferson, when, when all this committee met, Thomas Jefferson suggested that John Adams, with all of his knowledge, of how governments are supposed to be should draft this declaration. But Adams, in turn, insisted that Jefferson should write it because, as Adams said, he gave three reasons. One, you, Thomas Jefferson, are from Virginia, and Virginia should appear to be involved in this. Two, Adams said, I am despised and distrusted. And you, Thomas Jefferson, can write ten times better than I can. (laughs) And so Jefferson became the main drafter. And he reviewed his drafts mainly with Adams and Franklin, and they would give feedback. And it wasn't just one time. This was repeated. And the other partners, the other two partners, were were silent partners in this. They didn't have much of a say or, or much activity in the development and the writing of, or the drafting of the, of the Declaration. So on June 28th of 1776, the Committee of Five presented their draft to Congress. Congress in turn tabled it until 1 July so that they could conduct a debate on whether or not they were going to declare independence. And so delegates, it gave them the delegates time to confer with their states about this. So they did that. So on 1 July, the debate for independence occurred. John Dickinson of Pennsylvania argued against independence. The basis was that Amer- his basis was that America is too weak at the present time. He he compared it to sailing a storm in a paper skiff. John Adams, on the other hand, argued for independence, as you know. Jefferson and our founders called him the Colossus of Independence. He prayed for assistance from the great orators of Greece and Rome that they would they would be with him as he made this his speech and his argument for independence. And also during his speech, they were having a storm outside in Philadelphia, and the lightning and the thunder of the storm during his speech seemed to properly punctuate Adams' important points. 
I don't know how that happened, but that's what they say. After many other comments from other delegates, after those two made their arguments, that the Congress voted on declaring independence. As always, each colony cast one single vote for the, for the whole delegation. And each delegation voted among themselves first to determine the colony's vote. Pennsylvania and South Carolina voted no. New York had to abstain because they lacked permission from their legislature to, to make any points on that. Delaware was split because the delegation was split between Thomas McCain, who voted yes, and George Reed, who voted no. The remaining nine delegates voted yes in favor of independence, which meant that the resolution had been approved by the Committee of the Whole. The next step was for the the resolution to be voted on by the Congress itself. Edward Rutledge, a young delegate from South Carolina, was initially opposed to Lee's resolution for independence, but he was desirous of unanimity, and he moved that the vote be postponed until the following day, which was 2 July. That night, Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, Samuel Adams, and Edward Rutledge, after speaking with Franklin and Adams, met with delegates outside of the hall to persuade them to vote yes for independence. Thomas McKean, also after meeting with uh, those Sam Adams and Benjamin Franklin and John Adams, sent a rider 80 miles to Delaware to contact the third member of the Delaware delegation, and that was Caesar Rodney who had spent that day and many others leading the, Del- the Delaware militia in combating uprising of British loyalists in their colony. That rider reached C- Caesar Rodney sometime after midnight and told him of McCain's message and plea. Caesar Rodney, a true patriot and staunch advocate of independence, He rode throughout the night to make the 80-mile trip from Dover back to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the dark of night, fighting fatigue, torrential storms, rain-soaked roads, swollen crossings, and the pain of terminal cancer, to arrive in Philadelphia in time to vote for independence. He arrived just before the start of the morning session, entering Independence Hall, booted and spurred, and covered in mud from head to foot. So when the vote came, as the leader of the Delaware delegation, Caesar Rodney proudly stood to cast his vote. And he said this, As I believe the voice of my constituents and and of all sensible and honest men is in favor of independence, my own judgment concurs with them. I vote for independence. Franklin and Adams, and the Adams is it convinced Dickinson and Morris of Pennsylvania, those who voted no and swayed the, swayed the vote to no for, for Pennsylvania, they convinced him to absent themselves from that meeting so that Pennsylvania could vote yes. Edward Rudlitz, in the mean, during that time, convinced the delegates of South Carolina to vote, vote yes. New York, still having received no word from the state legislature had to abstain. So the final vote was yes, 12. Those who abstained, 1. 
and that was a virtual unanimity. So the, then came the debate and modification of the declaration. They had to look at the draft and, and either and modify it or approve it. And after the morning vote for our independence that we just discussed, the delegates turned their attention to reviewing the draft of the, dele- of the declaration. From the afternoon of 2 July until late in the day, the end of the day of 4th of July, the delegates read, reviewed, and modified the declaration draft. In the process, they made over 80 modifications to and eliminated approximately a quarter of the draft. Benjamin Franklin had to console Jefferson throughout the debate. That evening, after all modifications had been made and approved, Jefferson, Franklin, and Adams took the approved draft to the printing house of John Dunlap, who throughout the night produced approximately 200 to 250 broadsides of the Declaration that were then distributed the next day throughout the colonies. Most of the delegates, which as a side note, just to let everyone know, did not sign the Declaration until 2 August 1776. Thomas McCain, the man who sent for Caesar Rodney, was the last delegate to sign. And there's, it's not really absolutely established when he signed it, but some say it was as late as 1781. Now that we talk about the declaration has been approved, printed, and sent out to the delegation, the, the, I mean, to the colonies, what did that declaration say? Okay, well, let's go to break on that, uh, Ben Martin. We'll keep that as our okay. cliffhanger. I'm talking with Ben Martin. We're talking about our Declaration of Independence. And uh, so we're going to go to break. We'll be right back. Lord Levy, happy Independence Day week. And it's such a great time. I think uh, I think the 4th of July Independence Day is one of my most favorite holidays. And so what are you thinking about as we're celebrating our independence? You know, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the different holidays that represent our freedom and the forces that have brought us here, you know, Memorial Day and things like that. But this is the one where we became our own country. And so it's uh, it's fascinating. The more we talk about things that happened in the past, you bring up quotes and all on your show and how things tie together. And I think back to what these guys were going through at the time when they decided to get together and actually do this thing, the guts it took and the forethought and all these guys that wrote things like the Federalist Papers and stuff, it's like, those guys were pretty cool. <laughs> they were pretty cool, and we need to we need to be teaching our kids about this. And, Lauren, you have been a longtime sponsor of both the Kim Munson Show, but also America's Veteran Stories. And I get so many comments about that. And it, it's so important that we know our history and that we appreciate our history. And so Independence Day, it's not just about barbecues, which that's great to do. But it's also a time to sit down and reflect about all that they gave us. And in some ways, I feel like we're living on the fumes of that mm-hmm. freedom that they fought and died for. I agree. I mean, I, it's so important to keep these stories alive while you can hear them from the real people. You see a lot in the news these days about, I forget what they call them, deniers people that are out there denying that something happened like that the holocaust even happened or and so there's people out there capturing those last few survivor stories Mm -hmm. and putting them on video where they can be saved forever so that people can't come in and be like oh that never happened because it fits their narrative right um same thing with the america's veteran stories it's important to hear from those people firsthand 
so that when someone says, oh, that never happened, well, here it did, and we have it recorded. Right. Um, and it's very important to keep that thing alive. Okay. Well, I so appreciate you as a sponsor, and you're an expert in the mortgage arena. Uh, and if people, I mean, we're in a crazy time uh, regarding housing and mortgages, but uh, you can help people, whether or not they're looking to buy a house or take some equity or do a reverse mortgage, you can help them. What's your phone number? Uh, 303-880-8881 is always the best way to reach me. Again, that's Lauren Levy, Polygon Financial Group, 303-880-8881. And I hope that you have a great Independence Day week. Thank you so much. Okay, we'll be right back. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned REMAX realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national level. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. Glory, glory, hallelujah. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. Uh, you'll get first look at our upcoming essays and guests and podcasts. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. Uh, very special shows this week for the week of Independence Day. Uh, have um, pre-recorded all of these so that uh, we can focus on. Actually, we're going to take a little bit of time off and a little bit of respite because the team works so hard. So that's why we've been uh, pre-recording all of these. And thank you to the uh, excuse me. Thank you to the Harris family for their sponsorship of this show. And our guest is Ben Martin, patriotic historian, former Army Ranger, and West Point grad. Ben Martin, you said that the declaration has been, it's been voted on, it's been, it's printed, and it's being um, sent out to the different colonies. Uh, what, uh, you know, what did it say exactly? Yeah, that's, that's important, you know, as we know. And I wanted to say, too, and I know it's probably uh, been said, but I wanted to make sure that it was understood that this is the 246th anniversary of our declaration. So wow. I think that's, in, that's important to know. And then it's been there with us for that long. So let's take a closer look at our declaration. You know, Kim, it was ex- it's an extremely short document for having such a positive worldwide effect. It has been called, especially when combined with the Constitution, the greatest document of human liberty ever written. Over the century, there have been many experts who have analyzed the Declaration. All of them have recognized and identified the distinctive parts of it, and they have used similar, but not always the same, the exact same words to name those parts. So we'll start with the first part, and we'll call it simply the introduction. And we first have to listen to these words because they're important. I think they were carefully chosen by Thomas Jefferson and amended a little bit by Benjamin Franklin and John Adams. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth 
the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. Now, stop. This is the first reference to God. And there'll be others. There'll be four in all in the Declaration. And stop and think, what would come next after that? A strong assertion like, therefore, we declare our independence? But that's not what they said. That's not what the Declaration says. What it says is a decent respect for the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impelled them to separation. Notice the Declaration starts with when in the course of human events. It doesn't say in 1776 or at the end of the 18th century. It is applicable to all times. And then it says it becomes necessary. It doesn't say or doesn't blame anyone else. There's no blame assigned. For one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another. So that doesn't, again, specify a, a certain people. It's applicable to all and any people. And it assumes the separate and equal station. It doesn't say a greater station. It doesn't say a lesser station. It says an equal station. And then it talks about the laws of nature and nature's God. And these laws precede all civic laws, and, and they overarch them. So that's the first part, our introduction. Then we go to the second part of the Declaration, where the principles and purposes of mankind and government are located, also sometimes called the preamble. This is the part of the Declaration most of us learned when we were in grade school or junior high. Most of us memorized it then, and this is about all we learned or retained of our Declaration. So first, just listen to these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that's the second reference to God. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. Notice also the distinction made there between rights of the people and powers of the government. Rights, obviously, are more important. And the people have the right and they give certain powers to the government. Most of us only learn these first three sections of, that, of this part of the Declaration, not four. The fourth is, very, is a very important section. Of, now listen to it, this fourth section. It gives the people the right when the government does not abide by these principles or serve these purposes to change the government alter abolish it and institute new government but it must be based upon the standards given in this document so read that that when the fourth section that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends it is the right of the people to alter abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them the people shall seem most likely to affect, that means to bring about, their safety and happiness. 
now, again, we would expect a strong assertion, but again, they do not do that. We get prudence. And we read this from the Declaration of Independence again. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce, to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. That, that is, a, that's really, that's a strong statement. It really is. So they talk about that, but it is, again, it's a strong assertion but it's it's not something overly strong. And then they go on to say, such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former system of government. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. Notice again in that they go from colonies to states. It's a subtle but very important distinction that they make there. And so then they talk about the facts. And the facts, this is really the fourth part of, of the Declaration of Independence. Some call this the evidence, the abuses, the injuries, and the usurpations that they referred to before. Depending upon how you count this and who is presenting it, there could be as, there could be as little as 18 facts or 27 or even 29. I read this higher number once in a Heritage Foundation publication. It is important to note that all of these are violations of the principles of our Declaration and our constitutional government. Representation, limited government, separation of powers, and they are addressed all in our Constitution. In the fifth part, the actual Declaration paragraph is the last paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. And notice that the actual declaration is saved until the end of the declaration after the standards and principles and purposes of good government have been established and the facts have been presented. Even now, the declaration is not an overheated assertion, but is a considerate, rational, and respectful. And then, again, just listen to the words. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in General Congress assemble, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. The rectitude of our intentions. They're not saying this is a third reference to God, and they're not saying, God, please be on our side, but please make sure we are on your side. And, and that, that's, a, that's really important, and it shows the respect that is given 
to the people and the reverence given to God in this Declaration of Independence. It, 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 it's so important that we understand this, that this was not something made just a passion. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. You see how they have been made that trans, it's a very subtle, but they have made that transition from colonies to united colonies and from united colonies to independent states. That they are absolved of all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved and that as free and independent states. They have the full power to levy, levy war, to conclude peace, to contract allowances, to establish commerce, and to do all other rights and things which independent states may of right do. And then finally, that, that famous pledge, that mutual pledge, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honors, and that is the fourth and final reference to God made in our Declaration of Independence. Okay, so before we go to break on this, I I missed one of the... the, the uh, components of this. So number one was the introduction. Number two is the preamble. Number three, right. what's number th the third part? The third part is their argument when they start with prudence. And they then they talk about, they go into, this is sort of like the introduction to the facts. Okay. But it, it, it's in a summary of what the facts are, or it's made, like I said, it's an introduction to the facts and to what what he has done by the facts. So they talk about the, creating the design for uh, despotism and for tyranny, and it's by the by the king, by King George. And then they go in and list the facts in the fourth part, and then the fifth part is the actual declaration uh, of independence, the declaration of independence in the Declaration of Independence. Got Which it. Includes the okay, and the four references to God. The introduction is nature's God, in the preamble, the Creator, and then in the de Declaration, the Supreme Judge, and uh, let's see, Divine Providence. So we're going to go to break. We're talking with Ben Martin about our Declaration of Independence. Before we do that, though, the uh, nonprofit slash charity that I have adopted is the USMCMemorialFoundation.org. They are raising money to remodel the Marine Memorial out at 6th and Colfax. And you can honor a loved one for their service by buying a brick and for one of their walkways. Or you can just donate. Go to USMCMemorialFoundation.org. That's USMCMemorialFoundation.org. Would be a great thing to do as we are celebrating our Independence Day. Uh, so we're going to go to break. We'll be right back with Ben Martin. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. 
Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N.com. His truth is marching on. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. Thank you to the Harris family for their sponsorship of this show. And our guest is Ben Martin. He's a patriotic historian, former Army Ranger, West Point graduate. We're talking about the Declaration of Independence. So it has been, um, we've explained it. Uh, also the references to God throughout the Declaration. Uh, so how do you want to, what do you want to talk about in this last segment, Ben Martin? Well, thank you, Kim. It's it's been great. Like you said, I I think we talked about how the Declaration was made. We talked about how it was revised, and then we talked about what was in it, as you said. And so now let's look into the future uh, from the point of the Declaration as to speeches by our presidents and what they thought of the Declaration of Independence. And we'll first turn to that great president, Abraham Lincoln, who... I consider the founder of our second founding. He is the father of that. And he made this, he wrote this thing to himself. It's called the Fragments on the Constitution and the Union. And it was found in his desk drawer after his death, along with many other fragments. And it seemed like he always put these things down on paper so that he could get straight in his mind exactly what this meant to him. And so this one, he talks about the relationship between the Declaration and the Constitution and its fragments. It's very short. And it starts, uh, if you go back to 1858, when he made this famous speech on the anniversary of the 4th of July, uh, and it, he talks about the prosperity that we as a nation have accumulated, that we have realized in just a short period of time from our founding until that time. And he says, he talks about this prosperity, and he talks about it, he starts off by talking about this in this, this speech that he wrote, that he never gave, but he kept. 
and in fragments on the Constitution and the Union to talk about the relationship between the Declaration and the Constitution. And he starts off saying, all of this, all of this prosperity is not the result of accident. It has a philosophical cause. Without the Constitution and the Union, we could not have attained these results. But even these are not the primary cause of our great prosperity. There is something back of these entwining itself more closely about the human heart. And he says that something is the principle of liberty to all, the principle that clears the path for all, gives hope to all, and by consequence, enterprise and industry to all. The expression of that principle in our Declaration of Independence was most happy and fortunate. Without this, as well as with it, we could have declared our independence of Great Britain, but without it, we could not, I think, have secured our free government and consequent prosperity. No oppressed people will fight and endure as our fathers did without the promise of something better than a mere change of masters. Wow. The assertion of that principle at that time was the word fitly spoken. He's borrowing this from the Bible, which has proven to be an apple of gold to us. The Union and the Constitution are the picture of silver subsequently framed around it. But the picture was made not to conceal or destroy the apple, but to adorn and preserve it. The picture was made for the apple, not the apple for the picture. So let us ask that neither picture nor apple shall ever be blurred or bruised or broken. That we may so act, we must study and understand the points of danger. And so that's how he framed the relationship between the Declaration and our Constitution and our Union. Obviously, that principle in the Declaration is the seed, that is the center, and and that has to be preserved. And that's why talking about this Declaration is so important. So we will talk about that, and then we will talk about, we will go a little farther now into the history from the Declaration, and we will go to the 150th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, and as it's reflected upon by our president then, Calvin Coolidge. And in response to all this great pressure he was getting from progressives at that time to do away with our founding principles, he correctly frames progressives as regressives. Again, this is a short speech, or this is a short excerpt from that speech, the last part, the conclusion of that speech. And in it he says, and this is really important again, and it's important today, too. It has often been asserted that the world has made a great deal of progress since 1776, that we have had new thoughts and new experiences which have given us a great advance over the people of that day, and that we may therefore very well discard their conclusion for something more modern. 
and, and he's talking that the progressives are saying that. But he says that reasoning cannot be applied to this great charter. And this great charter, which he refers to, is our declaration. And he says in it, for if all men are created equal, that is final. If they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that is final. If government derives their power, their just powers, from the consent of the governed, that is final. No advance, no progress can be made beyond these propositions. If anyone wishes to deny their truth or their soundness, the only direction in which they can proceed historically is not forward, but backwards back towards a time, a dark time, when there was no equality, no rights of the individual, no rule of the people. Those who wish to proceed in that direction cannot lay claim to progress. They are reactionary. Their ideas are not more modern, but more ancient than those of our revolutionary founders. Wow. So that's very short, but very much to the point. Very poignant, I think. Well, it is amazing. And uh, the ancient is, it's the haves and the have-nots, or the uh, uh, people being uh, ruled over by kings and pharaohs and czars. And so this idea that men could govern themselves was the radical idea of, of history. And to put this down in this document of the Declaration of Independence is uh, pretty pretty amazing. Um, one thing regarding the usurpations, uh, they, they laid out the reasons they were breaking up with King George and Great Britain. And then a lot of these usurpations were addressed in the Constitution, correct? All of them were addressed in the Constitution, and, and all of them were talked about. Uh, when we talk of when in the Federalist Papers, too. Okay, Ben Martin, we've got... Amazing. It is amazing. We've got about two and a half minutes left. How how do you want to button this up this uh, week of Independence Day? Uh, I would like to say for, to everyone out there, to all our patriots, who are patriots who believe in this country, that they need to take time, again, to read our remarkable, beautiful declaration, because it contains the timeless and universal principles which bind us together. Learn them, memorize some of your favorite parts, and then let them, let them, the people that you love, let them know the principles of our nation. Impart what you learn to those you love. Make them American patriots, too, because as we started this, as President Reagan said, we don't pass this along excuse me, to them in the bloodstream. It must be taught to them so they, they, they can become, in their generation, the defenders of the blessings of liberty our founders gave to us. And those principles are in our Declaration. 
Well, and just like back in 1776, uh, we are in a battle of ideas of our generation. And uh, so it is important that we arm ourselves with our foundational principles and then engage in this battle of ideas with those around us. Ben Martin, I always learn so much uh, when you're on the show, and I thank the Harris family for their sponsorship of this show. Uh, But thank you for sharing this. I hear from so many listeners how much they appreciate you and uh, all of the knowledge that you have. So thank you so much for sharing that with all of us. Well, thank you so much for getting it out there, Kim, and thank you so much for your program and to the Harris family. Appreciate it. Most, just let everyone learn the Declaration. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't take that long to read it, for sure, so I would highly recommend that. And uh, our quote for the end of the show, I went to Ronald Reagan since uh, we started with Ronald Reagan, and he said this. He said, if we lose freedom here, there is no place to go to. This is the last stand on earth. So, my friends, that is why it is important that we get our brain around these issues and that we converse with our friends, our family, and our colleagues. And this is when I say that we were made for this time. Uh, America is under assault, and that's why that we need to engage in this battle of ideas. So, my friends, today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you. And God bless America. It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas, mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into a world of hurt. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And remember, my friends, it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff, whether or not it's their rights, their property, freedom, livelihood, or opportunity via force. That could be with a weapon policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation, or the World Economic Forum Davos globalist elite's agenda for uh, our lives. And uh, doing something very special this week. We are pre-recording for this week and have just really great guests. And uh, we'll get over to him in just a moment. But Dr. Douglas Grotice is with us. He's a professor of philosophy at the Denver Seminary. Before we get into that, though, thank you to all of you who uh, are joining us. You're each treasured, you're valued, you have purpose today. Strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, you were made for this moment, and I do get to work with a great team as well, and that's producers Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, Echo, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. So, Dr. Douglas Grotice, I the conversations that we have, I learned so much from them, and um, since we're doing these special um, broadcasts this week about our founding, we're Where do you want to start? I think it's good to start with the Declaration of Independence. I'm picking up the second paragraph. 
we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. I heard uh, a speaker say some years ago that the Declaration of Independence is the why of America, why we exist. It was a declaration to the world that we needed to separate from uh, England. And it's very amazing because uh, most nations have their origins somewhere in the murky past or nations come about because of the amalgamation of nations or wars. Uh, and it's amazing that our country has a declaration, kind of a mission statement at its very origin. And that's something that we should treasure uh, on the 4th of July, on Independence Day. And Independence Day is a time where we can gather with friends and enjoy maybe a good barbecue and uh, sadly fire off fireworks. I'm against fireworks because I have a dog. But anyway, <laughs> people yeah. can have fun if you safely use fireworks. But I think it's a day that should really be what you might call a national ritual. And I have a book coming out fairly soon called Fire in the Streets, which is about the riots of 2020 and the ideology behind those riots. And I argue, and I'm taking my cue from Ronald Reagan, uh, who said we need national rituals. We need to remember our history and to celebrate our history. And one of the national rituals, I think, should be commemorating independence. And that could mean reading the Declaration at an event, reading part of the Declaration, uh, maybe reading it to your family. Uh, could be maybe reading some of the uh, Federalist Papers that really gave the justification. Uh, that's actually a justification for the Constitution. But something deeply American that we can value and recognize and want to support. I think we need those kind of national rituals mm -hmm. in a good sense of ritual, not a mindless repetition of something, but a mindful affirmation of something worth remembering and worth uh, really celebrating. Well, when you talk about your new book that's coming out, Fire in the Streets, that is uh, what I saw a real is a tearing down of our rituals right. through yeah. that. Well, what we saw in 2020 and what we see now with many people is the idea that the United States civil government is somehow illegitimate, that it's founded on slavery. That now we hear, uh, after the Roe v. Wade decision, the Dobbs decision about Roe v. Wade, people are saying things like the Supreme Court is illegitimate, and it's like a talking point, illegitimate, illegitimate. And this is really dangerous insurrectionary kind of language, because if a civil government is illegitimate, it means it has no standing to rule. And if it has no standing to rule, you need to tear it down. You don't reform it from within, which is the American system, but you say it's illegitimate. It has no reason to exist. If it has no reason to exist, then there's every reason to destroy it. And that's very dangerous language, and it's a dangerous attitude. So I think this 4th of July... And really, all the time, we should acquaint ourselves with the founding American ideals. And, of course, people on the left especially will say, but look at all the uh, blemishes or far worse. Look at all the 
terrible things that is that have hap- has happened in America, like slavery and so on, and women not getting the vote until 1920. And I think back to a Denver. Uh, radio host back in the day, Ken Hamblin, if you remember him, he wrote a book with a great title, African-American conservative, called Find a Better Country. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, we have had pockmarks on our history, but the United States has been self-correcting and self-critical. And so, sadly, we had to have a civil war to uh, deinstitutionalize slavery, and we needed the civil rights movement to really ratify a lot of that, and we continue to work for equality. I think we should work for equal opportunity, not really for equal outcomes, right. because you have to have socialism to enforce equal outcomes. And there, everybody shares a saltine cracker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Everything's equally mediocre, and, and people resent each other because they haven't gotten where they are by merit. It's right. not a good idea. I think I want to read a quote about America that I really like. This is from the American historian Richard Hofstadler. It's about the founding. He said, The founding fathers were sages, scientists, men of broad cultivation, many of them apt in classical learning, who used their wide reading in history, politics, and law to solve the exigent problems of their time. No subsequent era in our history has produced so many men of knowledge among its political leaders as the age of John Adams, John Dickinson, Benjamin Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, George Mason, James Wilson, and George Wythe. And this is really exceptional because the United States has its origin in intellectual deliberation. And it's not like the origin of the USSR where... You have a group of people imposing an alien ideology on the people through violence, uh, through the teachings of, of Lenin and later Stalin. You have a group of people coming together to think through what a just nation would be. So you have that document of why we exist in the Declaration, and then later with the Constitution, how is this young nation going to work and thrive? And one of the things I love about the Constitution is that it allows for additions. It allows for amendments. And we've seen uh, quite a few amendments over the years. So this is saying that we endorse our Constitution, the principles of separation of powers, limited government, the consent of the governed, these things that make a republic. But the founders didn't think they got everything right or there would be no need to augment or maybe correct a few things or make things clear. So we have the amendment process. And that's really ingenious because you can have a self-correcting form of civil government that does not require revolution to make changes. You don't have to tear everything down, burn it all down, say the whole thing is illegitimate to make significant changes or course corrections along the way. And the people that talk about Uh, The U.S. civil government is illegitimate or uh, systemically evil, systemically racist, based on slavery and so on, are really trying to undermine uh, this wonderful republic that we've had that has stood for far over uh, 200 years. And that's not good. Uh, it's, It's really a kind of suicidal understanding, a suicidal program. 
Well, and I, I do think that I think the old girl America is under ideological attack. Uh, so let's go to break. I'm talking with Dr. Douglas Groteis, professor of philosophy at the Denver Seminary. We're talking about the American idea of the Declaration. We'll be right back. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned REMAX realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national level. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Monson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And I also have a lot of great partners, advertising partners on the show. One of those is Hooters Restaurants. And there's five locations. That's Loveland, Aurora, Westminster, Lone Tree, and Colorado Springs. And... Uh, the story of how they became business partners of mine, it's really a story about freedom and free markets and capitalism, and we've got that story on the website, so be sure and check that out there. In the studio with me is Dr. Douglas Groteis. He's a professor of philosophy at the Denver Seminary. Where do you want to go next? I think I'd like to talk about American exceptionalism, because this is a matter of controversy, and I can begin. Uh, I was in a faculty meeting once, and a person was being considered for a faculty position, and this person equated American exceptionalism with white supremacy. He used them as synonyms. And uh, somewhat miraculously, I managed to hold my tongue and not say anything and hope that he was not hired, and he wasn't. But isn't that interesting, that the idea that America has a special nature perhaps even a calling for good in the world, would be equated with white supremacy, that whites are better than other races, that other races are inferior to whites and should be subjected to whites. So what I want to do uh, is talk about the idea of American exceptionalism and give some points about what I call the American creed or things that are unique to America, because America is really as much a set of principles as it is a place. I mean, think back to 1989. You remember those demonstrations in Tiananmen Square mm -hmm, in China? Mm -hmm. The protesters held up an American flag. They had American flags. And you have one behind you right here in the studio. Why do you think that is? Why is it around the world when people want freedom from authoritarianism, they often look to the United States as a model? There's a reason for that. So American exceptionalism, which was really affirmed by the founders and has been affirmed by Abraham Lincoln and so many others, Ronald Reagan talked about America being a city on a hill, and he was quoting, I believe, John Witherspoon on that. 
the idea of exceptionalism is not that we are exempted from moral scrutiny. It's not that we are a redeemer nation, so to speak. Uh, there's one redeemer, and he is the Lord Jesus Christ. However, exceptionalism is just a fact of history. The origin of the United States is exceptional. You'll find no nation like it with uh, masterminds being so brilliant, uh, taking the best of the classical tradition, the Judeo-Christian understanding of covenant, really not just a contract, but a covenant uh, under God and so on. This is exceptional. That's just a fact of history, period. But then also we can talk about values in terms of the nature of the American system, having unique principles and values. So exceptionalism is not white supremacy. Exceptionalism is not exemption from the scrutiny of divine judgment. By no means. Uh, Thomas Jefferson said that he knew that God is just and that we are under the providence of a just God. And Jefferson, although he owned slaves, was really of, of two minds on, on slavery and did not really support the institution of slavery. But let me talk about some principles of the American creed, and I'm taking this from my forthcoming book, Fire in the Streets. The first is America is a republic affirming that government only legitimately is only legitimately constituted by the consent of the governed. So that's the idea that we are a nation uh, under God, as the Declaration says, and we don't believe in a monarchy. We don't believe in an authoritarian form of government. But government should be exercised by the consent of the governed. Now, that doesn't mean pure democracy, because if you look at the United States Constitution, you see we have a separation of the three powers, and there are ways of operating. It's not that you have a plebiscite on every issue. And I hear this on the left so often, like right now, the majority of people do not want Roe v. Wade overturned. Now, I question that. I don't even know if a lot of people understand what Roe v. Wade was. I think a lot of them are ignorant about it. But it really doesn't matter if the majority of American citizens think Roe v. Wade should still be the ruling, that it should not have been overturned. It doesn't matter because the judicial branch is not directly elected. Supreme Court justices are appointed and then have to be confirmed by the Senate, right? So this is part of our system. We have elected officials and we have unelected judicial officials. But many people don't understand what the consent of the government means within the American system. It's a structure where we have representation in the Senate. Each state has two senators. So that's each state is equal with respect to the Senate, despite whatever numbers there may be. And then you have representation by population with the Congress. It's just basic civics, right? Mm -hmm. And it's ingenious, really, because on the one hand, you have the popular... Uh, the popular vote, so to speak, or representation by population in a state. On the other hand, every state has an equal say in the Senate. All right. So the consent of the governed, a republic, and I always wince when I hear people say that America is a democracy. It's a republic that has democratic features. Mm -hmm. It is not a direct 
democracy. And when people like Robert Reich, not to name names, I've been kind of sparring with him on Twitter just for the fun of it. He, didn't, he never responds to me, but I respond to him. It's so easy. It takes about half a second. But he says things like 62% of Americans don't think Roe v. Wade should have been overturned. Uh, what kind of a democracy is this? And I say it's not a democracy. Not in your sense. Uh, the second point is America recognizes the potential and weaknesses of human nature. So it does not concentrate power in any single branch of government. So you have the executive, you have the legislative, and you have the judicial. And that's purposeful. The idea is that human beings are fallible and not basically good. So we have to figure out how to be governed and then how to hold those who govern us accountable. So you don't have an unjust, undue concentration of power. Now, of course, this plays out in some pretty messy ways where one branch may want more power than it constitutionally should have, but at least it's a contest. It is a conflict that can be worked out within constitutional, within a constitutional framework. And that's another ingenious aspect. And I have to realize that the American system or the American creed, as I'm putting it, is something that developed over centuries of Western civilization, Western law, Western reforms going back, oh, to the Magna Carta in many ways. And this is not something you simply say, we don't like the way it is, so we say it's illegitimate. You know, we want to overturn it. Uh, the American experiment in ordered liberty is a failure, so we're going to riot in the streets and mm -hmm. attack capitals and deface public property. That's what we saw in a horrible way in 2020. And we're seeing some of it right now after the Dobbs decision. And it's deeply uh, un-American. It's deeply unhistorical. And it's really not an answer to anything. Uh, revolutions uh, don't make things better, unless you're talking about the American Revolution, which is really, uh, some have called it a conservative counter-revolution. It was that England was taking too much power, exercising too much control in the United States. And it was, I have a quote in my book, Winston Churchill said basically that the revolution against England was quite British in its sensibility. <laughs> so the, the Americans were using principles of civil government that developed in the West and in England to actually uh, turn against uh, the, the rule of, of the king. So we have time for one more? Yes, we let's do that. Yeah, I've got three here. America is a republic. America recognizes the, the potential and weakness of human nature. Uh, let me mention one more thing about that second point. Notice I said the weakness of human nature, so we have the separation of powers. Uh, we don't have a direct democracy because we need structure and principles and so on. But the American creed also recognizes the potential of human nature. So as the Declaration says, God has endowed us with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So this means that human beings should be allowed to succeed and to some extent allowed to fail. So the United States is not a system where the state is to control everything, regulate, reward, punish everything. It has a role, but in the American system, the civil government should not be understood apart from other spheres of government, 
primarily self-government, how we comport ourselves uh, before God, before our family, before the state, and so on. So there's the potential of human nature, and I don't think any country in the world has allowed for human thriving more than the United States. Mm -hmm. We have this idea, which some people ridicule, but I don't, and that's the idea of the American dream, and that is that people can work their way up into a better social status, that they can better themselves. And sure, there will be unfair practices and difficulties, and not everyone uh, can go from rags to riches or even rags to middle class. But there is that possibility. It's not controlled from the top down. And I think of a friend of mine who told me that she had, uh, a, a, she knew a French couple, and the they left France because the man realized that he could not better himself anymore in France. He was very skilled, very gifted man, but he had uh, not bottomed out. He had topped out that given that socialist form of civil government, he really couldn't do any more than what he had done. And so they moved to the United States where he could use his abilities more freely for human thriving. And I think America is ingenious in that respect. Of course, it's not utopian, and that's one of the great things about America. We don't expect, given our founding principles and documents, to create a utopia. We know there will be selfishness and injustice and so on, uh, and we don't try to solve that through some comprehensive five-year plan or let's bring heaven to earth through socialism. That's not in our DNA as a country. Well, most definitely. We're talking about the American creed, American exceptionalism. I'm talking with Dr. Douglas Groteis, professor of philosophy at the Denver Seminary. And uh, before we go to break, the nonprofit that I am adopting is the USMC Memorial Foundation. Uh, they are in the process of raising money to remodel the Marine Memorial out at 6th and Colfax. It was dedicated in 1977, so it's time for a remodel. And you can actually honor one of your loved ones who uh, and their military service by buying a brick, which uh, you can put their name and their service on that on one of the walkways, or you can just donate. Go to USMCMemorialFoundation.org. That's USMCMemorialFoundation.org. We'll be right back with Dr. Douglas Groteis. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And this week, we're doing something very special. We've pre-recorded this week uh, with great guests. And with me is Dr. Douglas Groteis, professor of philosophy at the Denver Seminary. And we're talking about the American 
American creed. And, and I think you said that you have eight points on that. We've I gone do. through one, two, and three. One is that we are a republic. Number two, that uh, there are weaknesses with human nature. And then, on the other hand, the founders recognize the potential of uh, human beings. So what's right. our next one? Right. I want to go to the idea that America affirms and promotes religious and political freedom, equality, and opportunity. And we go really to the First Amendment here. You have one restriction in the First Amendment, and that is that religion will not be instituted by the state. So Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion. So that means the state does not directly promote any one Religion. So there will not be a Church of the United States of America. There will not be an established religion in the United States. But there is also uh, the part of it that says there will be freedom of religion. So Congress should make no law respecting the establishment of religion or restraining the free exercise of religion. So you have these two clauses, one negative, no state church, and then one positive, to not restrict the freedom of religion. The free exercise is the language of the First Amendment. And then it goes on to talk about uh, Congress shall not abridge the freedom of speech, of press, of assembly, or petitioning the government for the redress of wrongs. So we have these five glorious freedoms of the First Amendment. And let me just focus on a pet peeve for a minute. So often I hear people talk about the freedom of expression Mm -hmm. in the First Amendment. There is no freedom of expression. (laughs) There is freedom of religion, speech, press, assembly, and petition the government for the redress of wrongs. The reason I emphasize that is that people will say, well, I have the right to burn a flag, and I have a right to uh, do any number of things because I am expressing myself. But that's not what it's all about. I have a quote in my book, Fire in the Streets, from Robert Bork. And he says that there's no freedom of expression. There's freedom of speech. And do you really think burning an American flag is speech? It's a destruction of our national symbol. But this idea of the freedoms that we are guaranteed, and we have to continue to fight for, because we need to be vigilant. Uh, People don't realize that the natural state of civil government in human history is not freedom. It's tyranny. And that fits perfectly within the Christian worldview that human beings are fallen, that we are east of Eden. And we live under the sun, and political power needs to be restrained, and that restraint has to be affirmed over and over and over again. So another point is, America allows for and encourages upward mobility through individual initiative, the kind of rags-to-riches story, or attaining the American dream. I mentioned that earlier. But the idea of attaining the American dream is not that we will pay a huge percentage of our income in taxes and then the civil government will redistribute that and regulate everything for the common good. That's not in the American system. That's a revisionist idea. So the emphasis is on individual initiative, not at the expense of community by any sense, really. Uh, The founding documents have an understanding of what you could call a covenant. And that idea really goes back to Sinai. It goes back to the life of the Jews under God, that we are accountable to one another. Uh, The civil government is accountable to God. And this is not merely some kind of a contract among isolated individuals, 
but it's a covenant that we make, that we are part of. And so part of this covenant really is the allowance for free actions, uh, upward mobility. Of course, there's an allowance for downward mobility. Mm -hmm. uh, Thomas Sowell loves to say that when people talk about the rich in America, they don't understand that people go in and out of different categories of wealth. So someone uh, maybe in their 20s is below the poverty level and in their 50s, they're very wealthy. And then some people can be very wealthy and then go back down to lower levels. So the American system allows for that. It doesn't freeze people in social classes or castes. We have the possibility. I like to think of when I was in campus ministry in my 20s back in the 1980s, I was raising support, and I was not married at the time, and I had very few expenses. Basically, I spent my money on books and food, and that was about mm -hmm. it, <laughs> maybe a movie once in a while. And probably, at that point in my life, I might have qualified for state assistance. I, don't know. I might have technically been below the poverty level. I never thought of applying for things because I didn't need to. But uh, that was when I was in my 20s in campus ministry. I didn't stay at that income level my entire life. So uh, the American system of ordered liberty and free markets and so on allows for upward mobility, downward mobility. There's an element of freedom that our system recognizes, and you may use freedom for the good or not. And, of course, we're not going to eliminate injustice. We're not going to eliminate exploitation by the civil government. But what you need to do, as I mentioned earlier, is realize human nature is mixed. Uh, from a Christian viewpoint, we're made in the image and likeness of God. We have unique dignity at every level from conception onward. But we're also fallen beings. We have a penchant to be selfish. Mm -hmm. So our system needs to recognize that. Uh, another point, if I could go on. Yes. Uh, America is a beacon for the nations. I said that before, but I'll make it more explicit. A city set on a hill, as uh, Cotton Mather said. I think I said Witherspoon earlier. Cotton mm -hmm. Mather said this in a famous sermon. And uh, Ronald Reagan reaffirmed this as well. There's a sacred trust between God and we the people. Now, a lot of people on the left are very nervous about people saying what I just said. And they say, oh, no. You're a nationalist. You're a Christian nationalist. You're, you're a white Christian nationalist. Well, let's maybe take that apart a little bit. The scripture says that God places us where we are. And if we're Americans, God has placed us in a nation. And we should seek the welfare of the nation, where we are. We should be salt and light, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. So we are part of a nation. And our nation is exceptional, as I argued previously. And therefore, I think we should seek the welfare of our nation, given the best of our founding principles. I don't see anything idolatrous or uh, somehow unchristian about that idea. I hear people dumping on uh, nationalism all the time. Now, if you put the nation above God, or if you say our nation is not accountable to an objective moral standard, then that's certainly wrong. Or if you say my nation right or wrong, that's not the right idea. But the, the competing ideology would be globalism, which uh, right. we're seeing this movement towards that, and, right. and it takes away the sovereignty of each nation, the character of each nation. Right. And uh, so when we have this exceptional idea, that's something worth preserving. 
Well, it is. And we can't expect the quote-unquote global community to share these unique American principles. They often do not. So, yeah, we have to get along with the nations of the world. That's going to be a difficult and raucous uh, endeavor. But somehow putting our own founding principles under some global governance is really not a good idea. So if you'd say, well, what do you want to be, a globalist or a nationalist? That's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to be a nationalist uh, in the sense of holding to and valuing and affirming and applying the truths of the Declaration and the truths of the Constitution and so on. All right. Another point, six, America endeavors to honor and hold true to its founding documents. Thus, calling something unconstitutional is a reproach. Interesting. I hear that so often on the left and the right. Well, this is unconstitutional. And that assumes that our Constitution has an objective moral value to which we should stay true. That's not true of every nation. Or in some nations, you have a constitution and people don't value it very highly at all. I think of uh, the nation of Liberia, uh, which is a very troubled nation. And I have uh, friends from Liberia and so on that came to the United States during the Civil War. If you look at the constitution of Liberia, it's much like our own constitution. But sadly, uh, the nation was torn by a horrible civil war. There's been a lot of corruption, poverty, unemployment, and so on. And there are lots of reasons for that. But it's not enough to simply have... Uh, founding documents with good principles. You have to remember them, believe in them, and then strive to hold true to them. And, of course, when you mention the Constitution, you need to know what it actually says, and then how should it be properly interpreted. And the American ideal is that the Constitution is interpreted by the courts, by the Supreme Court. And the notion is not that the court will use the Constitution as a wax nose to twist any way they want, according to the will of the people. It's what does the Constitution say? And this is called originalism. And the conservative justices hold to originalism. Uh, The liberal justices hold to a kind of deconstruction of the Constitution, that we will find what we want in it to fit the common will. So the classic example of this was Roe v. Roe v. Wade in 1973. Uh, the judges supposedly found a right to privacy, and part of that right to privacy was the right to have an abortion. And thank God the Dobbs decision counteracted that, overruled that, because it's not in the Constitution. Now, people who don't hold true to the American creed or American exceptionalism, really don't have a very strong respect for the Constitution. The Constitution is just a document that was written a long time ago by, you know, old, dead, white guys, and some of them own slaves. You hear this all the time. Right. And so it doesn't have any moral standing. But if you really knew what it said and how different it is from so much of what goes on around the world in civil government... You would respect it. You would understand it. So especially with conservatives, if you hear someone like uh, 
Mark Levin or Dennis Prager say something is unconstitutional, that means it's it's wrong. It's mm-hmm. illegitimate. And that's something in our founding DNA that we value or we should value our Constitution. It's sort of a charter of who we are mm-hmm. and what we should be. Okay. Dr. Douglas Grotice, let's go to break. Um, we are talking about our American founding, the American creed, American exceptionalism. So we're going to go to break. We'll be right back. Medical freedom and personal choice are both sacred to comprehensive, patient-first health care. At Roots Medical, our providers honor those rights diligently in every appointment. Located in Denver Tech Center, Roots Medical is a functional primary care clinic with specialties in hormones, thyroid, gut health, detox, and COVID recovery. Establishing care with us is just a text message away, 303-569-6794. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. Roots Medical is a proud member of Colorado Healthcare Providers for Freedom. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who join us. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And uh, our guest today is Dr. Douglas Grotice, professor of philosophy at the Denver Seminary. We're talking about the American creed. So what do we want to hit in this last segment? Yeah, it might be good just to summarize. And this is not official. This is my understanding of the American creed. People will articulate this in different ways. But I found eight basic principles. America is a republic. Second, America recognizes the potential and weakness of human nature. Third, American, America affirms and promotes religious and political freedom. Fourth, America allows for and encourages upward mobility through individual initiative. Five, America is a beacon for the nations, a city set on a hill. Six, America endeavors to honor, honor and hold true to its founding documents. Uh, and the seventh one is America is a place where moral and political reform is possible within the founding ideals and without violence, at least ideally. I mean, we think of the Civil War, of course. But this is something I mentioned earlier is very significant, is with a civil government, do you have the ability for that government to be self-critical? Now, if you have something that's authoritarian, there's no room for criticism because criticism is viewed as counter-revolutionary. You think of the various communist governments. If you dare question Lenin or Stalin, if you dare question Mao Zedong or Pol Pot, 
then you are a counter-revolutionary and your ideas are subversive and you must be silenced or killed. That's because it's top-down, authoritarian, statist. And, of course, the idea that the state will eventually wither away, which was a promise made by Marx and Engels, has never happened. But America is a place where these reforms are possible within the founding ideals. So we have amendments to the Constitution. The framers of the Constitution realized that it was not something that was brought down from Mount Sinai, like the Ten Commandments, but there's a lot of wisdom there. But certain ideas had to be corrected in time, perhaps, and some ideas had to be augmented. So we have amendments abolishing slavery. We have, you know, we had an amendment uh, making alcohol illegal, and then later we had an amendment overturning that amendment. So there is this possibility for internal reform without we hope without violent revolution. When I say we hope, I'm thinking back to the Civil War, of course. I don't think at this point in our history we need any sort of violent activity to reform our country. So that's the seventh uh, point that I find. And I was very influenced by this by a book that came out a number of years ago by Arthur Schlesinger, who's no conservative. But he said that in the West, in general, there's this possibility of self-correction and reform. And that has been applied, certainly, in the United States. So the eighth point that I come up with, and the last one, is that America is a land that welcomes legal immigrants who want to become Americans and find a better life. My grandparents on my mother's side came here from northern Italy in the 1920s. And I was able to go online years ago and find the record of my grandfather, uh, Giovanni Caminetto. Oh, great to, name. <laughs> yeah, isn't that great? And then in America, they called him Johnny. Mm-hmm. But uh, Giovanni is a beautiful name. He came with his brother in, I think, 1922, something like that. And a few years ago, I went to uh, Ellis Island, and I was in the area where the immigrants came through. And, of course, they came through legally, and they worked their way into the American dream. Mm -hmm. So we welcome legal immigrants who want to become Americans. I think of one of my colleagues at Denver Seminary, actually two of my colleagues, one from Canada, one from Korea, who are naturalized American citizens because they love what America is. And, in fact, uh, one of these colleagues, uh, Sunwok Chung, Dr. Chung, wrote out why he became an American. I asked him to do that. I really want to know. And I included that, actually, in my book that's coming out, because he understands uh, what is great, what is wonderful about the United States. Now, those are the eight things that I've come up with. And you'll notice that I am not giving the perspective that you find in the 1619 Project or the idea that America was, is systemically unfair to people of color. Um, It was systemically racist, certainly, under slavery and even after that in the Jim Crow period. I think the legal impediments for people of color advancing in the United States have been largely overcome. Not that America is completely non-racist or fair to everyone, but I don't think the idea of judging people by groups, saying that that uh, that white people are oppressive and people of color are oppressed and therefore we need to radically alter our system to compensate for this. I don't think in 2022 this is a very helpful 
approach, and I don't think it really resonates with the best of the American uh, principles and and values. Now, one thing I want to talk about, I think we've got some time here, is what about this idea that the Constitution of the United States endorses slavery and considers blacks three-fifths human? Now, I spent some time on this in my book, and I may just read a little bit from it, but I recently heard Whoopi Goldberg, that great sage of American philosophy and uh, moral rectitude, say that because of Roe v. Wade, we're going to lose all of our freedoms, and black people will go back to being one-fourth of a human. Apparently, she got the fraction wrong. But anyway, uh, let me read this part of the Constitution. Uh, Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states, which may be included within this union, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other persons, and the three-fifths would be uh, enslaved people. So I say, in other words... Count all free persons and indentured servants. Do not count Indians. Then add three-fifths of the slaves. What does this mean regarding the status of slaves? James Madison in the Constitutional Convention said that slavery was the crucial problem and thought, quote, it wrong to admit in the Constitution the idea that there could be property in men, unquote. The United States Constitution never uses the word slave or race, although the Confederate Constitution of 1861 does. So what was going on here? The delegates from the South insisted there could be no constitutional union without allowance for slavery. Yet, as Robert Goodwin writes, slavery was a flat contradiction of the principles that are the bedrock foundation of a constitution. The primacy of the rights of individuals, their equality with respect to their rights, and the consequences that that consent of the govern, the consequence that the consent of the govern is the only legitimate source of political power. He states that almost all the delegates were fully aware that slavery profoundly contradicted these principles and therefore had no proper place in the Constitution. So the three-fifths compromise had nothing to do with slaves being viewed as three-fifths human. I find this all the time. In books, it's said in the media. Rather, it allowed the northern delegates to limit the political power of the South, who would not let their slaves vote anyway. So what they were trying to do with this three-fifths idea is limit the representation of the South with, with respect to the population. Now, in the South, blacks were not allowed to vote anyway. So it's not saying we now deem... Uh, black folks, slaves to be, and not all blacks in the United States were always enslaved. In the North, they often weren't. But we're going to call them three-fifths of a person. It's actually the opposite. Uh, Let me read something from an article, a writer named Golding. If all the slaves had been included, as the Southerners wanted, the slave states would have had 50% of the seats in Congress. But agreeing to three-fifths the slave states ended up with 47%, not, neg- not negligible, but still a minority like are out, like, uh, likely to be outvoted on slavery issues. So the three-fifths clause weakened the power of the pro-slavery South. It was a ticking time bomb for black freedom and eventually detonated against slavery. 
So we need to know what our history is. Right. We need our back. We need to know the background. And the people that claim that America is racist from the beginning, this, the Constitution institutes slavery and so on, are ignoramuses. They don't know what they're talking about. And I'm so grateful. Many years ago, I read this article in Commentary Magazine about slavery in the Constitution. And I went back to it when I wrote my book uh, to get the details on that. Okay. Well, and I, I want to make the point then on, on this as well, and I think you did. But, but the South, when they were talking about representation in the, gover- in the government, mm-hmm. then they wanted the slaves to be counted because, as you said, that would solidify political power yeah. for them. Right. But in, in saying, in, in acknowledging the, human, the humanness of slaves with the three-fifths, they're saying that, uh, yes, they are, uh, they are men, and, uh, and yeah, so it acknowledges that. There's nothing to say that black people are not human or that black people have no intrinsic rights. You have to remember that the Constitution, as brilliant as it is, is not perfect, and it was a compromise document in some ways between the North and the South. Mm-hmm. So we have to view it as a kind of a political compromise. But as I say, it's really a time bomb. It was a time bomb right. against slavery because we already have the Declaration, which says all men are created equal. And then we have other things in the Constitution that really move towards freedom for blacks. But there was this bit of a compromise with the South. But you have to realize the three-fifths clause weakened the power of the pro-slavery South. Mm -hmm. And it did not say African-Americans are three-fifths human, or as Whoopi Goldberg says, one-fourth. I don't know where she got (laughs) one-fourth. Well, and it's such an important distinction. And as you say, we didn't get everything right, but we moved towards this perfect ideal Mm -hmm. that all men are created equal. Dr. Douglas Groteis, really love having you on the show. Uh, just, Just a few seconds. How do you want to wrap this up? Well, I think the July 4th holiday is a good time to remember our background, remember the Declaration of Independence, the truths in the Declaration, uh, to not only remember but celebrate and try to hold true to those principles. There are people who want to tear down the United States of America to uh, violate its founding principles and somehow start over again. That's a very bad idea. So as Ronald Reagan said, we need national rituals, not just the 4th of July. I think we need other ones. But this 4th of July, I think it's appropriate to uh, not only enjoy fellowship with other people, enjoy good food, maybe fireworks, although it scares my dog. But uh, let's think about who we are. Read uh, the Declaration of Independence. Think about it and pray. Pray for America. Pray for our leaders. Most definitely. And thank you, Dr. Douglas Groteis. And our quote for the end of the day is the last uh, sentence in the declaration says, and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well of honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. And I don't want no one to cry